Hello, and welcome to People Keep Dying, a podcast about people who die. I'm your host, Angela, and this week I have author and bookstore owner Vanessa Brown with me, who will be speaking about a London, London, Ontario murder. Yes. So... For once, I don't really have that much information, but she's bringing the research. So yay! <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here with you, Angela. I'm so excited to hear about this. I watched the um, that like one episode of the TV show. I think it's like it takes a killer, or it takes some to catch a killer. To catch a killer, yeah. So I watched that episode, and I went to your talk at the library. But besides that, I'm not, I don't really have like that much information, and my retention for information isn't great. So you're, it's gonna be like a new story all over again right now. Excellent. All right. That's good. So you can introduce yourself. Sure. And yeah. Yeah, I'm Vanessa Brown. I have a book coming out on October fourth called The Forest City Killer. It's being published by ECW Press out of Toronto, uh, and the main focus of the book is well, a series of unsolved murders in London, Ontario. Uh, I focused particularly on the Jackie English murder, mostly because that's what I had access to. Uh, the other murders are, of course, just as important. Um, but doing that research has helped me develop a special friendship with the, the victim's sister, Anne English, and also Dennis Alsops Jr., who's the son of the lead homicide investigator who worked on the case. So it's been a pretty exciting journey. Did you get any access to any of his... Um I guess findings during like because I, I remember he had like a kept records of everything during the murder investigation so did you get to like see the diary or any of that stuff absolutely that's exciting yeah it was that was really cool I have <laughs> to say especially after you are researching something and then someone says here's the original it's like whoa it's cool it's like you feel a little starstruck in a strange way and I mean it's and I'm sure like, it's we're talking about true crime. I'm on a true crime podcast right now. We all know that delicate balance between um, being excited by the topic, but also being aware that it's horrible. Mm -hmm. And these are real things that happen to real people, which is terrible. It's like history buffs who read about awful wars all the time and they are respectful to the content, but it's fascinating. That's something like this happened and you just can't look away. It, yeah, it really is like a war. And with this particular individual or a pair of individuals, uh, the Forest City Killer, uh, uh, this the killer, FCK, I call him, um, was really fighting a war against London, you know, acts of terrorism, taking children off the street and abducting them, raping and murdering them. And you don't think it's any of the serial killers that were mentioned in the other book? Oh, Murder City? Murder City. Well, actually, um, Mike Arnfield does mention the Forest City Killer. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't use that name. Um, Mike's book is an amazing, an amazing text. So it covers the phenomenon of serial killers in London, Ontario, and he covers all of them, including the solved cases, uh, the big three, I call them, which are Gerald Thomas Archer, Russell Johnson, and Christian McGee. Uh, those cases are solved, and they're fascinating. Of those three, I find Russell Johnson particularly fascinating, and I know you and I have talked about Gerald Thomas Archer mm -hmm. uh, and his baseball game analogy, which was really, um, you know, I don't know, punny? But in case like our listeners aren't aware, there was a book that came out, I think, about three years ago? Yeah, 2015. 2015, so four years ago that um, a professor at Western University stated that London... Ontario was the serial capital of the world because there was the most amount of active serial killers at one time in this city. Yeah, more than, per capita than anywhere mm -hmm. else. So I, I don't know. Do you know about the, um, there's the murder project in the States where he uses an algorithm to uh, spot anomalies where there are spikes in serial uh, sexual homicide in certain areas and that's how they can spot a serial killer so there's an unapprehended serial killer in this area mm -hmm. and, and it's all math and if you look at the math London Ontario is the serial killer capital of Canada because per capita was the highest especially because the population was so low here right absolutely mm -hmm. the number of murders are pretty astounding yeah and in addition to the big three um, Mike covers other serial killers so there's Sandor Phillip who was only um 
connected through DNA to one murder, but there are another two that match the MO and are very likely him. Uh, there's another one that gets grouped in with the serial killings because it's um, sexual and dismemberment, but that's probably a one-off, and that's Priscilla Merle and also Suzanne Miller. So there are a whole bunch of unsolved cases, but I chose to focus on a particular set that happened between 1968 and uh, 1970. And we can start with Jackie English, as you can introduce her. Yeah, um, Jackie English was 15. She lived in London. And actually, at the time of her death, she lived around the corner from you. Yeah, we had, I think it's where the parking lot is now. That's right. Because I looked at the address and I was like, it's literally right there. Like, I can see it from my balcony. (laughs) Yeah, and that's part of what's fascinating about it is walking along the streets in our Mm -hmm. neighborhood Uh, because my bookstore is not far from here either, Mm -hmm. and knowing that uh, the victims were right there and maybe even the killer was right there, you know, if he was stalking them or watching them. It's possible that he could have been a neighbor for all we know, since this is an unsolved case technically. That's right, yeah, yeah. So um, Jackie was working at the Latin Quarter, which was also around the corner, and she lived with her mom and her little brother. And she got... she. She was really enjoying making money, so she got another job at the Metropolitan Restaurant, which was at Wellington South. So for people who aren't from London, Ontario, we're talking about the edge of the city on the other side of the highway, or interstate, as Mm -hmm. you would call it if you're an American listener. And it was in one of those sort of malls in the 1960s, as she worked in what was basically a discount department store, and it had a restaurant in it. Um, I know in Canada we had Zellers yeah, and it I was had a say restaurant. Like Zellers. I'm, I don't really know anything similar in the states, but yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there there must there, have been. There probably is. Yeah, like a discount chain that had yeah a little diner in it, and so she worked in the diner mm-hmm. at the lunch counters, so where the stools were, and like she was in charge of serving the people who sat on the stools. So, um, she was working there, and she usually got a ride home with her mom who worked at uh like it's an industrial park so her mom worked right nearby but then her mom was sick and she was in the hospital during this one week Mm -hmm. and on october 4th 1969 jackie left work at 10 p.m and she didn't have a ride did it feel like a crime of opportunity or did it seem like maybe someone was stalking her to you personally I i think she may have uh, been acquainted with her killer not friends with but acquainted with yeah. her killer um, the particular individual that I have in mind had done that previously mm-hmm. and when people work I, I mean you may have heard this before but statistically the jobs that are most vulnerable uh, for women or I think is nursing and waitressing and there's another one as well but they're all jobs that where you interact with a lot of members of the public and also late hours yeah mm-hmm. yeah So, you know, he may have been a customer or someone she knew a little bit, Um, but she left and she didn't ask any of her coworkers for a ride. And in theory, she was walking to take the bus. Which would make sense in that area, yeah. Yeah, but the bus was on the other side of the overpass. And we're talking about an overpass that goes over like a six-lane highway. Yeah, it's a crazy long overpass. Like, I imagine walking past that now, and I wouldn't do it now, and there isn't an active that I'm aware of an active killer. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> that I'm aware of at least. No, it's it's totally true. Like there's a value village out there. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of other like discount, again, still discount shops out there, uh, Costco. And if you went out there and you went outside and you didn't have a ride, you would absolutely call an Uber. Yeah. Like there's no way that you would be like, I'm going to walk over that horrifying overpass with cars rushing by underneath my feet. I wouldn't even want to do it if it was a two-lane highway, honestly. Yeah. And here we are at night in October. And it was probably not as busy back then either. No, it wasn't as busy, but it was still a main highway. Like, they built it for Mm -hmm. a reason, right? There was demand for traffic. So, um, and on October 4th every year, we actually walk over the overpass in memory of Jackie. So I've actually walked on the overpass and it's windy and it's really loud. And you're right, there are more cars today than there would have been, but it does give you an idea of how isolating it is. How terrifying it is to go through that by yourself. Absolutely. So there were a few people who spotted her, but essentially she got into a vehicle. It doesn't appear that she there was a struggle. She got into the vehicle willingly, 
The car did a U-turn and headed south on Wellington and left the city. And she was gone. Did someone see the car? Is that how we know that it made a U-turn and then left the city? Yeah, someone did call in a tip to the police that they saw the car make a U-turn. But there were four other eyewitnesses that saw the vehicle. So, of course, they searched for her. Um, Not in the kind of... uh, searches you would traditionally see where there's like a row of people going across a field there weren't organized searches like that for jackie because really we don't the, even know where her body would have been right mm-hmm. it was an odd place to disappear from and where would you search and there was a car involved right so you can go anywhere yeah so it was five days later on october 9th that her body was found it was a friday and there were these two duck hunters um ron um and Pete, uh, who <laughs> were young guys. They were like guys in their 20s, and they were honestly out duck hunting. And ducks, I actually researched this because I was like, were they really duck hunting? Because mm-hmm. finding a body sort of puts you in line to be a suspect. Yeah, like if you to know exactly where a body is, but at the same time, I guess October is when ducks start flying away, right? Yeah, it's a good, the winter. That's a, mm-hmm. and they're grown right mm-hmm. before they leave, so you want like fully grown ducks. And ducks, apparently, according to the duck hunting expert I spoke to, oh. uh, they do congregate underneath bridges. Oh. And th- this was a great spot. So it was at the corner of Cornell and Furnace Road uh, near Otterville, uh, sort of near like Tilsonburg, <clears throat> Elmer area. And uh, these, these fellows came to the uh, bridge where they thought there might be some ducks. It was a new bridge at the time. Mm-hmm. So... I just want to illustrate a little bit what this area was like. There are sort of two curving hills that converge mm-hmm. on this bridge. So under the bridge is like a ravine. Oh. Okay, so the Big Otter Creek is down there, but it's actually quite far. So the guy would have, whoever dumped, because obviously her body was found there, he physically carried her down to the ravine that's right she wasn't thrown from the bridge oh wow yeah Um, and in fact when just to illustrate that further when ron and pete found her they actually took one of their rifles that had a scope on it to Mm -hmm. look through the scope to see her more clearly so it is it's far it's not it's not like rocky mountains rope bridge far but it's far is there an idea that maybe she that's where she died and that's the reason why it was she was taken so far in that's a great question yeah. absolutely not she did not die there then someone carried her body all the way in yeah that's crazy yeah now there was a sort of back access road mm-hmm. so there was another way to come into that spot that wasn't quite as steep but it's still quite a distance to carry a mm-hmm. body um, she was found fully naked lying on her back Aww. she died from blunt force trauma to the head with a j-shaped object and there were no signs of strangulation or lacerations. She didn't have any signs that she'd been held in captivity, like no ligature marks on her arms or feet. Um, and all that was with her was her ring that her boyfriend had given her and her earrings, which had been taken out and placed next to her in the shallow water. That is a weird like detail, though, to take your, her earrings off, but not all of her jewelry. And then also not to take the jewelry, I guess, upon it, which is what I think normal people... Yeah, yeah. I think if you're treating someone like an object and not a person, Mm -hmm. um, their body becomes your resource. So whether you're using it for sexual pleasure or financial gain, that person's been objectified completely, right? Mm -hmm. So I think leaving those pieces there really signifies something important to the killer. Or he was even a little bit remorseful. That could be. Yeah, which kind of leads back to he might have known her, but it, since there was no struggle, the likelihood of her knowing where was higher. Yeah. yeah. The other interesting thing is that her body was probably not there the entire time. Oh. Right? Did they find like different objects on her that shown that she was from somewhere else, like she went somewhere else? Well, no, here's the thing, and this is where it gets a little crusty my apologies mm-hmm. if you know although i assume if you're listening to a podcast called people keep dying <laughs> you're ready for forensic details mm-hmm. um but normally when a body's in the water for even two days you start to develop something called skin slippage where the layers of skin start to peel back basically like tissue paper 
and that hadn't happened on her body. Oh. And it had been five days since she disappeared. So her body looked like it had been in the water for like 48 hours. So it was she had re- died a couple of days after she was kidnapped. Well, no, she may have died right away. Oh. But her body wasn't in the water that long. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she could have been uh, kept in a cool place mm-hmm. where... Uh, I guess in October, it would be pretty cold. So it, she could have been kept in a garage at that point as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or in the trunk of a car. Oh, yeah, that's true. Now, I don't have detailed information about her autopsy as to where the blood was pooling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have seen a crime scene photo. And if there was blood pooling, it was on her back or on the underside of her body because it wasn't apparent in the image. So it might be possible that she might have, like, bled somewhere else and then after she had blood is when she was dropped off in the ravine yeah and actually that's what the police thought Mm -hmm. so they figured wherever she was killed it would have i I mean head wounds if you've ever even like scratched a zit the wrong way Mm -hmm. head wounds bleed like crazy yes they do yeah and she had been bashed in the head really hard so they figured this wound would have caused like a huge blood loss Mm -hmm. and they could not find like where this blood loss happened so they even got their famous police dog arab who Mm -hmm. had like the most politically correct name ever yeah (laughs) arab was a bit of a star for the london police department he basically all of the unsolved cases in london arab showed up to search for clues and now that like we're in this century it's like it feels a little awkward to be like the dog arab yeah, it's about as awkward as watching the Shriners in the parade, you know, when they come yeah. in the Santa Claus parade when they're all dressed up like like they're from like the Middle East. It's like, dudes, you're a bunch of white guys. I know. And don't Maybe wear not. That. Maybe just not do it yeah, anymore. That's over. Mm. Stop it. <laughs> Simply stop. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. So they they did a really thorough search of the area. They canvassed everything. No one had seen anything. And there was a house a hundred meters from the dump site and the old man who lived there had not seen a thing. Although he was probably like sleeping after watching yeah. Murder, She Wrote or something. If it was in the middle of the night, then usually you wouldn't, unless you hear something, you're not going to go even look out the window. And even if you hear something, sometimes you don't care. Yeah. Someone, people are hunt at night, I think too, right? Yeah, you're yeah. in the country, so who knows? And I shouldn't have said Murder, She Wrote. It was in the 60s, so it would have been, I don't know. What was that Canadian game show? Do you remember that like famous Canadian, Canadian game shows? shows? Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Say Jeopardy. Yeah. Price <laughs> but, is right. I think Price is right has been around for a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. Oh, front page challenge. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe he was watching front page challenge. Mm-hmm. That would be a more apropos reference. Yeah. So, um, no one knew who killed her. Mm-hmm. And technically, no one has confirmed who killed her as of yet. That's right. But there are very strong suspicions on who did it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, there were a whole bunch of murders that happened. Mm-hmm. I have 11 victims in my book. Jeez. And that's only from the London area. There are cases that I haven't included. I was just looking at one, uh, Robert James Brown, who mm-hmm. was up uh, by Lake Simcoe. He was murdered and, well, he disappeared in 1968, a 12-year-old boy picked up when he was walking home along the highway. So again, a vehicle, again, outdoors, again, the, the victim's going from point A to point B and is intercepted. So there's definitely an opportunity angle. And I think FCK murdered people when the opportunity presented him, presented itself. But I also think there were particular individuals that he targeted. So it's a little bit of A, a little bit of B. Mm-hmm. But do you think that the FCK probably targeted more women? Or was it just like, you, do you think that FCK was like an opportunity killer and killed anyone that he saw that was kind of more vulnerable i think they're definitely all vulnerable Mm -hmm. all of the female victims are you know relatively short light um you know easy to pick up and Mm -hmm. then all the boys are younger too so i I believe he killed boys and girls which is something i'm probably a bit of an outlier for thinking Mm -hmm. um i'm not sure that all the criminologists in the universe would agree with me usually they think that you you have a type and that's what you normally go for so that's why it's like it's always interesting to hear about it but it does happen yeah so because it's sometimes it's more about vulnerability more than the actual like sex or even the sexual act it's just like b 
being in control, right? If you're like a true masochist, you don't really care where your victim is. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened afterwards with the case? Because I know that like they really did try to solve it, but it yeah, just... Londoners went crazy. Yeah, like there were all these letters to the editor, and people went really nuts. So um, this is where the story gets really interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean interesting in as much as it's horrible um and it is i i mean i've had this conversation with ann english a million times like Mm -hmm. this is your sister's murder i shouldn't be excited about finding new clues like it's sad and she she says no it's okay like be excited excited to try to catch an awful person who did an awful thing because you're excited that you might be getting somewhere and it'd be i think it'd be more gross if you're excited like to figure out who the next victim's going to be because that's kind of more like... Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there were moments where, like, she brought out Jackie's diary because mm-hmm. when Jackie died, she had... When she had just gotten this diary for her birthday on April 17th, mm-hmm. it's totally heartbreaking. It was a five-year diary. So on each page was, like, a date, like, June 10th, and then there'd be five spaces for the next five years and she had only filled out the top ones and clearly like she had this life ahead of her and she should be here she should be enjoying like her nieces and nephews Mm -hmm. and grandbabies and all the rest of it and her own kids and you know being married in a normal you know normal life yeah but i had seen that there was like encryption in her diary is that normal for a 15 year old girl i don't know i don't know so weird (laughs) i mean the code is not very complicated no but still yeah but it was really just her hiding i think it was just putting a block between she sort of must have figured that her mom was reading her diary yeah and i mean her mom wasn't the most mentally healthy person to begin with mm-hmm. and she probably was rightfully paranoid that her mom would look but, um, i mean most most parents would look at their probably children's time yeah so the stuff she put in code was all related to sexual activity mm-hmm. so it was like she french kissed a guy at work or she was drunk and naked with a guy at a party mm-hmm. you know it's that kind of stuff which so, you never want to hear about your 15-year-old daughter. Doing. No. And most people would just look at the code and go, I I don't know what that is. It's just scratch. Who cares? But after, you know, she's dead, then unfortunately, that's when you have to figure out, like, what is this code? Yeah. And something I didn't talk about at the library was, um, because you, you saw my talk at the mm-hmm. library, was in addition to the codes, there were all these other sightings of Jackie before she disappeared, which is part of oh. what leads me to think that she may have known her killer, um, but not in not like a friend, like not like your neighbor or like a friend of the family or something, mm-hmm. but like a guy she met maybe through work or maybe you know how teenagers are. Yeah, you know, like meet some random person. And they're super cool, so you just want to be friends with them, so you don't really ask them any questions either. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she was seen going around town with a bathing suit. Oh. which was a little interesting. There was unexplained money in her bank account. And she kept going back to her old apartments on Elmwood Ave because she moved here like around the corner from you mm-hmm. um, basically two, three weeks before she died. Oh, I didn't know it was that recent. Yeah. And prior to that, she had lived in Wortley Village in essentially like a tenement housing. Oh. So it was a converted Victorian house with 11 apartments in it. So it's possible it could have been an old neighbor, too. Yeah, yeah. There was actually an old neighbor who was known for painting and photographing women in the nude. And she was known to, she was going back to that apartment even after she moved. And people, there were multiple accounts of people who lived in Ortley Village, which Mm -hmm. is that neighborhood, who didn't even realize she'd moved away because they kept seeing her. So she definitely had a friend or someone that she knew that she was visiting all the time. And I didn't know about the whole bathing suit. It's October, so where would she be wearing a bathing suit to? Absolutely. And she told people she was going swimming at... There was a pool at Beale Secondary School, oh, which the, is where she, which is downtown. And there was also mm-hmm. the pool at the YMCA. But no one ever saw her wet. Oh. And no, no one ever saw her at the pool. And her boyfriend saw the bathing suit in the bag, and he said it was a really brief bikini. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't go, like, indoor swimming at my high school pool. In a bikini? In a bikini? Like, not really, usually. I mean, if you're actually swimming, you usually wear a one-piece. But even then, it's like, well, 
how come no one's seen her at the pool? Usually you go with the pool to the pool with your friends as well. Yeah. And also something that struck me is if I'm a high school dropout, I don't usually hang around the school I dropped out of. Yeah. It's like if you get fired from a job, you don't like go back. I mean, usually not. But yeah. <laughs> no, I know she was planning on going back to school mm-hmm. actually the week after she was taken. So that could have been why she was hanging around the school. Maybe she was sort of getting her footing back. Maybe she had made friends there or she was starting to make friends there. But... Yeah, she actually had lunch with an old friend from there oh, okay. um, the day before she died. So, or the day before she was taken. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a possibility. But it is, it is still that there's something about it that just doesn't jive Mm -hmm. like tiny bikini swimming at your old school like being seen in your old neighborhood all the time even though it's like it's about a kilometer away it's not it's not super close to where she lives or she lived right before she died so it doesn't really make sense for her to be returning back to that neighborhood either yeah yeah so the whole thing is a little weird yeah so i guess i'll get to like the really crazy part yeah okay so <laughs> everyone's like yeah because <laughs> i mean so far like it's, it's a pretty normal like oh well abduction yeah, and sex abdu- murder yeah. you know like they unfortunately have happened a lot and yeah. we've heard millions of stories about women hitchhiking or getting picked up at a car and then they show up dead in the woods it happens right um that's why no one hitchhikes anymore even though it's like it, what it, it's not it doesn't happen often but it happened often enough Oh, yeah. I mean, there are whole serial killers whose entire MO was picking up hitchhikers. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, um, the day before she died, this couple and their son was at the Metropolitan restaurant where she worked. And she was like their waitress or whatever. Um, And after she died, they like saw her picture in the newspaper. And so and the the wife who I've got the impression she was sort of really into the drama of it. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't really think her information was particularly important. Or if it was, it wasn't as important important in the same way that she presented it to be. Or she could be one of those like kind of like fame chasers. Like there's people who do interviews just because they want to see their name on the news. Yeah, like I Unfortunately. think I think she did have some information that was relevant and important, but mm-hmm. I think she was a fame chaser, and that's yeah. what got her into trouble. Oh. So she went to the police on October nineteenth with her husband, and even though there were a whole, there was a guy hanging around the Metropolitan. I call him the guy in the green jacket or mm-hmm. the smoking man, um, who was seen hanging around the Metropolitan restaurant in the days before Jackie went missing. He drove a maroon car. He wore a green jacket, and he smoked a cigarette. And he smoked it in a dis- distinctive way, with the burner turned into his palm. Oh. Okay. Yeah, and it, he stuck out like he was walking around in the children's clothing department smoking, which really pissed off the clerk. So she noticed him, right? Also gross. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> and remember when like people could smoke inside? Oh uh, so. yeah. I mean, they still can in Vegas in the lobbies of casinos, which I really hate. Sometimes, like I'm a former smoker, and sometimes mm. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like I can smoke in the Denver airport. I'm just going to go buy a pack just so I can, you know, there is like a 1970s nostalgia charm. I didn't know that you could smoke in the airport there. I don't know if you can in Denver, but there are airports where you can. I know like when I was in Korea, they had a section where you can go out and smoke. And I'm like, there should be more of that available in airports because there are smokers who are highly addicted who look very stressed out before they got on the plane. Right? Yeah. And sometimes you have to wait hours for a layover. Yeah. Or your plane gets delayed and you've been at the airport for five hours for a 10-hour flight and you're just, you, you can see they're jonesing. <laughs> you feel so bad for them because it's like you're addicted to something legal and you can't smoke. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. It's pretty bu- It's pretty brutal. Um, but smoking's great. I wish it didn't kill you. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, they went to the cops, and they were like, we saw this guy at the Metropolitan the night before Jackie was abducted. And uh, he was there. There were these two men at the restaurant. And even though there were all these other sightings of the man in the green jacket, for some reason the police decided that this sighting was important. And she, did, her name was Betty Harrison, this woman. Mm-hmm. And she didn't even give the composite image. They got it from her husband, Verdon. Um, and I, when I imagine Verdon, I, I imagine him just sort of rolling his eyes and just doing whatever Betty tells him to do. Yeah. Uh, just, he's, he's, he's a pretty quiet character. Um, but anyway, so they put out this composite image into the press, and it, you know, and it gave the public some comfort that there was a lead mm-hmm. and you know 
lots of people called in saying, oh, I think it's this person or I think it's that person. And Betty was really proud of herself. So she went to her job at the chiropractic office and was like bragging that she uh, had, you know, I, I that's for me. Oh, I went to the police and gave them this vital information for this case. They were how bored she must have been. You know, this is pre-internet. <laughs> what right? are you going to do? <laughs> this is what people do for entertainment yeah. is come up with composites for the cops. So um, two months later, in that two months, she started getting harassing phone calls, uh, threatening letters, bangs on the door in the middle of the night. So she was getting harassed. And the police started watching her and sort of keeping track of her. And on December 11th, she got home from work. It was a Friday. She was looking forward to the weekend. Mm -hmm. she, went, she got home early uh, and she went through the mail and uh, there was a threatening note. Now, here's the thing. She'd been getting all these birthday cards because it, it had just been her birthday. Okay. okay. So, but still, she didn't tell the police. She just got this note. And then she decides, I'm going to go shopping. What? Yeah. So when it's just been my birthday and I'm going through a stack of birthday cards and then I get a death threat letter, I don't go shopping. No, I usually, if, if you know that you've been getting threats before, you call the police or you even talk to your husband. Right? Literally anything. And you don't go off by yourself no. shopping. So then she goes off to go shopping. And here's the extra weird thing. She didn't take any money with her. Mm. And in 1969, if you didn't go to the bank, you didn't have any money. Yeah, you don't. It's, it's like pre-credit cards. Yeah, so Friday night, you didn't have any money. So she went shopping, but then she had no cash. And then she also didn't have her checkbook. That's so weird. All right, so then she is like, okay, I'm going to go home. Now, she had also brought her dog with her, which is also weird. So she like, was scared of being in the house, maybe? I don't know. Maybe that's it. And then she like took her dog with her because yeah. she was scared. So, But then here's another strange thing. When you... Okay, the way London is set up, mm -hmm. you remember the overpass I was telling you about where Jackie mm -hmm. was walking over? That same area of discount malls is where Betty Harrison was shopping. Oh. Okay, so it's right by that highway. Yeah. Now, that highway sort of also operates as like a freeway for London. Mm -hmm. So people use it to cut across the city real quick. And she lived in the East End and the like department store area that she was in, like the budget department stores were in sort of the South End. And most people, if they were going home, they would just take the highway because yeah. it takes two seconds. In comparison to going through the city, yeah. So, but she didn't do that. She went through these back country roads so she thought maybe she thought she was being followed that's possible i didn't think of that yeah. that could be it but she told police it was because she was going to let her dog out for a run no but if i got so then if she was being followed why did she lie to the police and tell them she was taking her dog for a run who knows because yeah. taking your dog for a run by yourself in the dark on a country road after you've gotten a death threat is really weird yeah right yeah i would i certainly wouldn't do any of the things that she did but no idea what yeah. like, thought process she had. So that she lets the dog out of the car and this guy jumps, this is according to her, this guy jumps in the car and he starts like slashing her with this knife, which she described as an eight inch knife with uh, like a grip, like a, like a hunting knife. Okay. Like, I have a six inch one right here, which I carry with me. Yeah, you're downtown. Well, and also just in case the Forest City Killer is listening, I do carry a buck hunting knife with me everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah, no, that's like a... Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a guard on it so that when you stab somebody, your mm -hmm. hand doesn't go on the blade. Yeah. Right? Cuz that's usually what they tell you like if you're you're in a knife fight, more likely you're going to stab yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But you can see how like this doesn't this knife wouldn't make small cuts. No, it wouldn't. It would put some deep gashes and it wouldn't do surface cuts. But here's the thing. She she had 27 lacerations and a few of them were deep, but the mm -hmm. doctor said they would have been made by a fine blade, yeah. like a razor blade. That's what I was thinking. So her cuts didn't match the weapon that she said was used in the attack. So is it possible she attacked herself for some reason like a crazy? There's something about it that she was covering up. That's for sure. Yeah. A little weird. So she was attacked, and then she blamed this guy for it, who was the principal of the psychiatric hospital for children. Hmm. <laughs> Does she have something against him? Like, did she have any previous interactions with this guy? Well, she her son had been to CPRI for treatment, and he'd actually taken classes from the same guy. So she recognized his face. But she said she didn't. Hmm, that's... 
it was like two months later she said oh it's this guy and then she pretended she didn't know who he was so the detective put a lineup in front of her with his picture mm-hmm. and she's like that's the man he creeped and then she's like oh there's something about him that scares me I don't know and the detective's like I know you know who that is like yeah. he didn't say anything to her but he was like no I know you know who that is and yeah it's gets more complicated it's really bizarre and strange but in the end the man was acquitted i'd hope so because it doesn't sound like i was kind of afraid he'd go to jail because it does happen well you shouldn't be afraid that he might have gone to jail because i think he may have had something to do with it but that's just my suspicion i don't have any yeah you know outright proof for that so because you think if if you're framing someone Mm -hmm. why are you framing them yeah right there's got to be a reason. There could, who knows? There, I, I do feel like she, she there might might have been like a personal vendetta against that particular man. Yeah, that could be. But so the, the final tragic twist, of course, is uh, then a few years later, mm-hmm. um, the night after Richard's birthday, actually her son, uh, they all died in a horrific fire. Really? Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Their house burned down and they all died. Where did they live? At one seventy one Elgin Street. Oh. Yeah, and you're like Hamilton and Highbury. Jeez. Yeah, so the, there was a fire that broke out, and they all died. And it wasn't arson, right? It was a. It might have been arson. Well, there was an intensive investigation. Here's the thing: the like fire commissioner guy who did the investigation, mm-hmm. the fire marshal, he said that it there was it was an accidental fire, and it was probably caused by a cigarette. But I talked to a guy who was a beat cop at the time, Mm -hmm. and he was actually assigned to watch the scene because it was such a high-profile fire. Mm -hmm. Because this woman had been in one of the biggest news stories in the last two years in the city, right? So they had to have around-the-clock security on the site of the fire to make sure that no one was coming in, Mm -hmm. and also to see if maybe the killer showed up. And uh, he said that the word on the scene was that a Molotov cocktail had been thrown through the window. Damn it. Yeah, because I'm like, I know a lot of things are more flammable back in the day, but a cigarette, it just, you think it needs bigger ignition than a yeah, cigarette. Yeah, like you should see photos of this fire. It's like, <sighs> the other thing is, um, so you remember she'd have this dog that she took mm-hmm. with her. Okay, so that dog was poisoned. Wait, was a dog, like, so when she let the dog out, did the dog, so the dog did come back after she was attacked? Yeah, the, the car went up and down the road and the dog, whose name was Cindy and it was like the sweetest thing, mm-hmm. followed the car. And then there was at this one point where the attacker like got out of the car to try and get Betty into a second vehicle that had another person driving it. What? And the dog attacked him and bit his leg. Okay. So Cindy, this little black dog was like, get the fuck away from my mom right and i'm so proud of cindy and like basically she saved betty's life Mm -hmm. and she was profiled in the newspaper as this brave little black dog who's so great but then someone poisoned cindy which is very suspicious right so cindy was poisoned and then the family was like someone killed our dog so was they, it shortly after the whole incident? Yeah, or? well, this all happened very quickly. Oh, right? yeah. So yeah, it was it was after the trial where mm-hmm. the guy was acquitted. Um, is this all making sense? Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I didn't realize because she dies two years after. I'm like, why? Wow, it is really fast. Yeah. So between the trial, so she had the attack. She blamed this guy. They went to trial. He gets he, acquitted. He gets acquitted, the and then dies. the dog gets murdered, mm-hmm. and then like a year later. So in the time before Cindy got poisoned and then the fire happened, they had gotten this other dog who was a German shepherd Mm -hmm. from the Humane Society named Chimo. And all the neighbors hated Chimo because Chimo was a barker. Chimo barked at squirrels. It was a Chimo barked at kids on bikes. Chimo barked at cars driving in the driveway. Mm -hmm. Chimo barked at the mailman. Chimo barked at every bloody thing on the street. Mm -hmm. And everyone hated Chimo. Chimo didn't bark at all on the night of the fire. So like as if like Chimo recognized whoever did it or if someone silenced chimo immediately but here's the thing if if you pass out with a cigarette Mm -hmm. and it starts a fire doesn't your dog start barking oh yeah it starts freaking out because it's like what is that even if it's not like doesn't understand how fire works but still freak out yeah like there's smoke in the room Mm -hmm. their doggy senses are going crazy they're like let me out of this hellhole and none of the neighbors heard the dog bark at all that's crazy yeah murder definitely feels a little bit more like murder but it was written off as accidental yeah now 
I do have another little twist that I didn't talk about at the library that mm-hmm. I can share with you. Okay, so you remember Betty was attacked. Yes. And she blamed this principal yes. of CPRI. The children th- didn't recognize who her second driver was. Yeah, no. That she was okay. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good question because mm-hmm. obviously there's a second guy involved, yeah. right? Which is why I say FCK could be him or them. Or them. Mm-hmm. So um, when she accused this principal, first of all, is the principal of a children's psychiatric hospital, which is just like something out of American Horror Story. Yeah, for sure. Right? That's how, that's, I'm imagining like Je- Doug Jones. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So she accused him and everyone in London just went apeshit because they're like, whoever attacked her obviously killed Jackie English. Mm-hmm. Right? So the trial was for the attack, but it was also adjacently... You know, everyone was watching. Yeah, to see, like, if he gets convicted of this, then, then he probably killed Jackie. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then we'll find out who killed her and probably all these other children, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, don't forget, like, these teenagers uh, were referred to as young men and young women back then, but they were, like, 14. Uh-huh. These aren't, these are children, Yeah. right? Um, so uh, that guy, the principal of CPRI, his name's Glenn Fryer. Mm-hmm. He's alive. I interviewed oh, him. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's an interesting character. Uh, at any rate, uh, so Glenn Fryer decides... This is so weird. You're going to think this is the weirdest. To become friends with the family of Jackie English. Oh. I mean, that does sound also like Serial Killer 101. Right? Right. Because if, if you accused me of, like, murdering your family member, or, like, people were like, you killed Angela's brother. Yeah. I wouldn't then be like, hey, Ange, let's go for dinner. Yeah. Let's be friends now. Because I definitely didn't kill him, so we should just be friends so you that everyone who looks at me will think that I am totally didn't kill him. Right? Mm-hmm. And it went so far that, like, he became such good friends with Jackie's little brother, Fred, that his own children were jealous Oh, wow. He treated him like his son. Like better than his kids. Yeah. But Anne, Jackie's older sister, always hated him. Oh. Yeah. Well, she's old enough to know better as well. Yeah. So it gets really weird. So Glenn moved to Toronto, right? Because basically Londoners ran him out of town. Mm -hmm. But his wife and kids stayed here. Oh. Because they were like going to high school and all their friends were here and stuff. Okay. So he moved to Toronto to work. And eventually his wife moved there and they lived in Toronto. So... He would come home and visit, and that's when he would hang out with Fred and do stuff in London, la-di-da. But Jackie's mom, Doris, she got to be really good friends with Glenn's wife. Her name was Ruth, which this really irks Anne, right? Like, her mom was hanging out with the wife of the man who was accused of killing her daughter. Like, it's strange. Yeah. Yeah. So when her mom died, Ruth was a nurse. Like, Glenn Fryer's wife was a nurse. And so um, in 1981... Um, Jackie English's mom, Anne's mom, mm-hmm. she had breast cancer and she opted not to have a mastectomy. Oh. So she died. And when they got the call that she was dying, they had to go to the hospital right mm-hmm. away, right? So they get to the hospital and guess who's in the room? It's Ruth. Just so weird. Yep. Yeah. Ruth was already there and she stayed there. And Anne remembers like looking at her brother just being like, why the fuck is this woman here? Yeah. Right? Like, get out. And she wonders if she was there, like, maybe she was going to say something, like, on the deathbed. Oh, yeah. Like, I know who did it. Like, my husband did it. Like, Mm -hmm. maybe she was debating telling a secret. Yeah. Maybe she didn't want Doris to die without knowing the truth. Or maybe Doris knew something. And Ruth was there Making to make sure, sure she didn't say anything. You hope Doris didn't know anything because I certainly wouldn't keep a secret of who killed my daughter. Right. But I'm not really sure so. why you'd be friends with someone like that either. But Right? I also watch Abducted in Plain Sight, so I don't understand lots of people. <laughs> that I documentary don't, is so screwed up. I don't understand people. <laughs> I'm going to let my child's kidnapper hang, hang out with... I'm also going to have an affair with them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, both parents. Both parents. Sorry yeah. if it's spoilers, guys, but like this family is fucked. Yeah, so that's why I'm like, I, I want to say it's weird, but I'm like, man, I did watch a documentary and everyone was like, that's messed up. And then some people on Reddit were like, that happened to me. I'm like, what? What? 
Whenever I go on Reddit, I'm always surprised on like the fi- family dynamics being so screwed up in the world, and they are. They're always really screwed up. It's really weird. Yeah. I don't understand it. I've had members of my family do stuff where I'm just like, nope. No. Bye. Mm-hmm. And then other family members are like, oh, forgive and love it's them. It's okay. They're family. You can't, I'm like, mm, no, it's okay. It's not, <laughs> it's not okay. So that's why it's hard to know. Like, is it normal? Maybe. Maybe she was really lonely. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't understand people anymore. I thought I did, but I don't. No, no, no. It's, it's inexplicable. Yeah. Anyway. So this is one of the 11 murders that are in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you'll see when you read it, they're all connected. Yes. All committed by Forest City Killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got two main suspects, one of whom I haven't even touched on with yeah. you today. Well, I knew that like when I watched a documentary or like the TV show, they talked about Marilyn as well. And that was like a whole offshoot of like, why would she have the picture? And oh my God, do you want to talk about Marilyn? Yeah. Okay, we, cool. We can talk about it briefly, but yeah. Yeah, okay, so... Actually, Marilyn Hurd's really important. Um, but she gets written off as a red herring because she has mental health problems. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. And I have a whole I have a whole theory that makes me sound crazy, and I won't go into that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that theory, you know, it changes all the time. Anyway, Marilyn Hurd worked at the Metropolitan mm-hmm. with Jackie, and the first mention of her is on September 3rd. So Marilyn you know, presented herself to the newspaper when Jackie went missing. She was like, oh, yeah, I'm Jackie's best friend. And there's pictures of her with the family, like with the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm Jackie English's best friend. Look at me in the limelight, right? And, I mean, Jackie's real best friend was a girl named Vicky. Oh, okay. Yeah, it wasn't, <laughs> you know, Marilyn wasn't her best friend at all. No. Marilyn was from a really fucked up family. Am I swearing too much? No. Okay. Um, She was from a really fucked up family with an abusive alcoholic father. Her brother uh, was convicted of stabbing an uh, eight-year-old, five-year-old boy with an eight-inch knife. That's the... uh, Jeez. Yeah. um, I forget what year. But, uh, you know, they were really messed up family. And Marilyn was very troubled. And I think for sure, regardless of how she's involved in the murder, I think Jackie's death definitely triggered psychosis in her. I think she she really had trouble processing what happened um probably because of other traumas that had gone on in her life at the very least Mm -hmm. if she wasn't directly involved but of course the reason people think she's directly involved is because uh in that that november about a month after jackie was taken the security guard let me paint the picture for you Mm -hmm. there was this old department store downtown in london ontario it was like macy's right So it was like old timey glass counters, like, you know, yeah, Miracle on 34th Street kind of a thing. All right. And uh, there was this night watchman and he did his rounds and he uh, went around back by the loading docks on his rounds and he found this girl crumpled up in a heap. It was Marilyn Hurd and she had taken a whole bunch of pills to try and kill herself. So he he finds this girl basically unconscious she's alive but she's non-responsive he takes her back to the security office and Mm -hmm. he calls the police in an ambulance it's Mm -hmm. the same thing at the time um and then the police come and they take her to the south street psychiatric unit Mm -hmm. hospital because Um, they knew that she had mental health issues beforehand or oh because she had tried to kill herself so that's what they do so when they you know went through her clothes or whatever Mm -hmm. they found this picture in her pocket of jackie english and on the back of the picture it says let the name of her killer go to the grave with me what it's just yeah it keeps getting more complicated so marilyn would never say who the killer was no and i I think she's still alive right now she is she lives in an assisted living facility Mm -hmm. um you know she does suffer from psychosis she thinks that harrison ford was her boyfriend um, oh, she thinks okay. there are coded messages in the Star Wars movies directed at her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she has a lot of mental health issues. And that's the reason why people didn't take her as seriously, because of the mental health issues. Well, yeah. And I mean, she obviously was, you know, wanting the attention. Mm-hmm. And uh, they couldn't tell if she was just a troubled young girl inserting herself or if she actually had something real to offer. Mm-hmm. But part of the problem is her stories kept changing and shifting. She she would come up with a new story, you know, like, oh, I'm not getting any attention anymore. Here's, oh, I remembered something, oh. you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Now, I do think she's involved. Mm-hmm. Um, or she might know more than she's saying. 
Well, here's, sure. here's why. So you remember the principal from the Children's Psychiatric Hospital mm-hmm. who went to trial. And he had taught Betty Harrison's son in remedial classes downtown, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Marilyn Hurd was in that class. Oh, yeah. Could it get more complicated? Uh, it just feels like such a small town. It is such a small town. <laughs> yeah. I feel like um, your listeners, though, are just going to, their brains are going to be like scrambled right now. Yeah, well, they, no one really knows where London, Ontario is to begin with. And they, I'm not sure they can imagine how small this city was population wise but how vast it is in size for the population size yeah at the time it was like 150,000 people yeah and it's London's pretty large yeah now it's but it's only like 350,000 people now no, I mean like it, large like in space yeah absolutely yeah. it's a really spread out yeah because I came from like a smaller city so this is very weird to be like oh there's 350,000 people but just kidding yeah. <laughs> It's like you can't actually see them unless you come downtown during a festival and then maybe you'll see everyone. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, if you want to learn more about this murder and others in our little city, um, Forest City Killers coming out in October. October 4th. October 4th. You can pre-order it on Amazon. You can also order a signed copy from my website, brownanddixon.com. And you can find the store on Richmond Street. That's right, at 567 Richmond Street in London, Ontario. So you can come visit her. And thank you so much for coming in for this. I really appreciate it. I've learned so much more than because I didn't know that much about any of the local murders. I didn't grow up here, so. Well, I'm glad I could tell you about at least this one. Thank you. Yeah, so no problem. So hopefully in the future we'll have others or others we can talk about that won't depress us. <laughs> and if you like what I'm doing and you like to email me, my um, email is peoplekeepdyingatgmail.com. You can find me at all my social medias. You can also plug in your social medias as well. Oh, sure. It's all just Brown and Dixon. Yes. So yeah. Brown and Dixon for any more information about Vanessa. And um, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.